Amen. Thank you so much, Adam. And thank you for those words, James and Leah. We really appreciate that. And really, we're so privileged with the different relationships we have around the world. So we were, we were gathering with people that were primarily from eastern part of Canada and a couple from the U.S. and a couple from South Africa. Um, but, you know, we really do have these relationships all around the world. We had, talking to some of our leaders yesterday, Marcus Herbert, who leads uh, the church that Alexa Ray is from in South Africa, and they're a multi-site church there. They've planted over 60 churches around the world, you know? So not only they have 10 sites in their city, uh, you told us yesterday there are 2,500 people at this point in time in those 10 different sites, but they've planted 60 churches around the world. And then someone asked them, how many of those are still going? He said, only two failed of the 60. Only two failed. And, uh, you know, that's inspiring because, as I said, you know, I've been talking about with you just saying, you know, God gave me this picture. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I figured I would give you the 10-year version because it sounded a little more sane than the 21-year version of the picture. But in 21 years, I'll be 70 years of age. It's hard to believe, you know, but I'll be 70 years of age in 21 years. And when I kept just doing that math, the same math that brought me to us being able to reach a million people, if we will disciple one person a year for the next 10 years, if for the next 21 years we all disciple one person a year and teach them to do the same, we'll reach 1.2 billion people. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? You know, and and if they thought I was crazy at a million, when I say 1.2 billion, that's crazy. But the ripple effect of the gospel going out you know, the ripple effect of us discipling literally the nations. Imagine the impact that we can have as we take seriously the call of being disciples, as we obey the commands of Jesus and actually do what he asks us to do. And he's given us all the command of making disciples of the nations. Wouldn't it be amazing there'll be people that have been brought here to Canada that then may go back to other countries bringing the gospel there? You know, that there's, who knows how you will affect people. We've got, uh, you know, uh, people, yeah, that are in and out all the time. Lynn and Richard in the Philippines. wonder how many people are going to be impacted in the Philippines just by their presence there, by them taking seriously the call of making disciples. Who will be touched? Who will be impacted? Every one of us here has that same, this, this command of making disciples is for every single one of us here. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. When he sent out his, his apostles or his disciples, he's like, go and make disciples of the nations. And that's, you know, that's kingdom living now. If you want to know what the call of God on your life is, we all have the exact same call. We may just do it in a different way. It's to make disciples of Jesus, not of us, of Jesus. And so I've been talking a lot on that. Kirill said to me, please tell me your title isn't Making Disciples Part 4. So we'll come up with a different title for today. <laughs> you know, and I really wasn't planning that title. I'm just not sure what it is. So Lee, pay attention. You can tell me what the title is. Uh, there's, there's a giant that I want to knock down today. And, and it's, it's a, a poverty spirit that exists. We've got two, two ways this thing plays out. I see in the church in North America, in our country. 
And on the one side, it plays out as greed. And on the other side, it plays out as poverty. And it's just a wrong mentality around money. So I want to give us a a biblical perspective on this today. And there's a reason for it. We're going to reach 1.2 billion people. That's going to take some resourcing, don't you think? You know, it's going to, we're, if we're going to reach the, tw- the, if we're going to just do what God asked us to start with is double by next year, that's going to take resources to do. We've got to be, we, we need resources, you know, and, and God resources us, but God resources us through people. Sometimes he resources us by going, finding a fish and taking a coin out of its mouth, as we saw Jesus do. Sometimes he multiplies what we've got in our hands supernaturally. And I'm, I'm for all of that. But he also is, you know, he resources through the generosity of people. I'm sure you know from reading scripture, Jesus and his disciples were resourced by, by people, primarily women, wealthy women that were funding the, the, their ministry, that were paying for what was going on with what they were doing. So while we see Jesus taking money out of a fish's mouth to go and pay taxes, the reality of most of the ministry that Jesus was doing was being funded by people. And, you know, there's this uh, wrong mindset we can get into that suddenly the church is just supposed to pull money out of thin air for what it does. Or that, that, you know, we just, or that we're supposed to live poor, all of us, not just the church. And these are wrong mindsets. So I want to, I want to talk to us about this today. We're going to start off in Exodus. You know, because last week when I was talking about discipleship, I was mentioned the fact that the Israelites left Egypt wealthy. But I didn't back it up with scripture. So I want to back it up with scripture so you don't think I just made it up. So if we look in Exodus verses 12, verses 35 and 36. So Exodus 12, 35 and 36. Context for this. You've just had the 12 plagues in Israel or, or in Egypt. You know, the, the, the Israelites have been there for decades in slavery. It, Moses has gone out to the desert, been out there 40 years. God has brought him back to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. But Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go because, frankly, they're the prosperous workers. They are making Egypt rich because they are enslaved in Egypt and they're building all the stuff that's, you know, that's in Egypt. And they're, they're the ones that are doing all the work. So it's not, you know, doesn't make sense for the Pharaoh to let them go. But God has said, you know, let my people go. You know, that they would be able to go to the promised land. And so we've had these 12 plagues that have come. The last plague has just happened. The last plague where the firstborn child of the Egyptians has died. Passover festival has, you know, is commemorates this when the Israelite children didn't die, but the 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 Egyptian children did die because they wouldn't let the people go. And at this point, just as they're finally the Pharaohs called Moses in, and it's like, just go, just go. And it says here that the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. So God set his people up right then and there that when they were going on their journey to the promised land, they had everything they needed. 
Now they're going out into the desert. That silver and gold is not going to buy. It's not like they're going to stop at McDonald's on the journey. You know, there's no, no restaurants for them to stop at. So we also watch God provide them everything they need, water, food. You know, they're like, hey, when we're going through the desert, it's like, hey, we want some, we want some, he's giving them manna. They're like, well, we're not so thrilled with manna. It doesn't taste so great. We want meat. So he sends them quail. There's God just continues to provide for those people as he brings them through the desert and gives them what they need for when they enter the promised land. Things that signify, what is silver and gold going to do for them? It's not like in our day and age, right? But it was a signal, it's something that was wealth for them. It signaled to all the people around them that they had wealth, that they had, that they didn't just have their basic needs met, they had even more than their needs met. They had things that would have been considered by those around them as signs of wealth. You know, they went out with, with everything they needed to enter the promised land. And, I mean, we know the journey that they went on. We know that they actually wouldn't enter the promised land. We know the story. You know, they've been in the desert for, for more than a year. They get to the land of Canaan that's been promised to their ancestors. And God's like, go in. So they send 12 spies into the land to just see What's going on in the land? And they're there and they look and they're like, yep, it's an amazing land. Look at this. They come back. They bring fruits. They bring honey. They bring all this stuff. The land, this land is amazing, but there's giants there. There's these giant people and those people are way too big. We will not win this battle. We will not be able to enter that promised land because they're too big and they're too intimidating. And only two of the people say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We've got to go into this land because God will go before us the same as he's done all his way. I mean, remember, these people uh, just like, a year before had watched as the Egyptians changed their mind, pursued them into the desert, and God drowns the entire Egyptian army as he parts the sea for them to walk through. But then they get to the promised land and they're like, nope, these people are too big. God's not going to go before us. You know, this isn't, this isn't going to work. God's, you know, their standard statement that they would make is they made it over and over in the desert. Did God bring us out of Egypt just to kill us here? You know, is that what it's about? Look, he brought us to the promised land, brought us to the place of these giants. It's a really nice land, but he's going to send us in there and just slaughter us. Their mindset of who God was, was, was very damaged. Probably damaged by years of slavery, years of living under oppression, you know, years where, you know, as, as slaves, they had no control over their lives. So even as things might look good for a moment, it, at any moment, the Egyptians would, could change their mind. We see the stories where the Egyptians did change their minds and suddenly would just make things more harder and more difficult for them. They had a very difficult life. And so even when they were seeing God do good things, they couldn't actually believe or trust that, you know, this was going to continue. They couldn't accept that God was actually that good, that he would fulfill the promises that he had made to them. And so they don't enter the land. And they end up wandering around in the desert for 40 years. In the book of Deuteronomy, in verses 8, or, or yeah, in chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, the start of, verse, the start of Deuteronomy 8 the Israelites are being reminded of what God's done for them. 
and saying, hey, look, you know, remember, you've wandered out in the desert. This, this, this is being written to them after they've wandered for 40 years, and now they're about to enter the promised land again. And they're being reminded by Moses of all the things that God has done. And he reminds them, like, look, you wandered through the desert. You did all these different things. You know, God had to, you know, you wouldn't enter the promised land. God had to teach you to obey him over these last 40 years. But look what God did. You always had food. Your sandals never wore out. You always had what you needed. And then a little ways down where we pick it up in verse 17, Moses says to the people, he says, you may say to yourself, once you've entered, so again, context, once you've entered the promised land, once you actually have all the benefits of what's there, of, of everything you're going to receive in this amazing land that has all this, you know, that is, is fertile, it has everything you need, but be careful because you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. That is true for us today. God is the one that gives each one of us the ability to produce wealth in our lives. It's him. It's him. And I want to you know, go down to Deuteronomy verse 28. We're still same speech that Moses is giving to the people before they go into the promised land. And he says to them, if you fully, I'm reading from verse 1 to 14, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. I thought it was amazing that James brought up this word blessed this morning because he didn't know what I was about to read. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that all the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hands to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he's giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock and in the crops of the ground and in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens and the storehouses of his bounty to send rain on your land and seasons and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations and you will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you to this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. 
Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Then goes on and reads all kinds of curses, which I'm not going to read out. Because we don't need them. They're basically the opposite of all this. If you don't follow God, then guess what's going to happen? All the opposite. All the opposite. If you don't carefully obey the commands. Now, this is pre-Jesus. This is the Old Testament. You know, the the Old Testament that was God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, as the New Testament says. This This is a tutor for us to teach us the ways of the Lord. We live this side of the cross, saved by the grace of Jesus, you know, in relationship with God in this place. We, we don't, we look and read the Old Testament to see how God works, what God does. And God says, he's going to bless us when we obey his commands. Jesus said the same thing. If you love me, you will obey my teaching. You will obey my commands. You will remain in me if you obey my teaching. So these are relevant for us today. We are not, for us, our blessing isn't coming in the form of barns and livestock because we're not an agrarian society, you know? But it's this thing of, like, if we will do things God's way, we will be amazed at how God will bless us. The thing is that most of us are scared to do things God's way. We're scared to actually give our careers over to God. We're scared to to say, hey, God, okay, I will obey you. I'm going to do things your way. You know, we it's because it's easier for us to do it the world's way, and it sometimes feels safer because we feel in control. We're just like the people that, you know, Moses warned, where he said, well, we say that our power and our strength have what produced our wealth for us. What produces my, you know, easy to say, well, it's my education that I got. It's the degree I got. I've worked hard at my career. I've done this. I've done that. That's what gives me the ability to produce wealth. And those things are definitely good and helpful things. It's a privilege that we have if we've been able to get a career and we've done well in our job and we've been diligent with the work. But it's God that gives us the ability to produce wealth. And if we will give over our lives to him, what he can achieve through us is far greater than what we achieve in our own ability and our own strength. And we fall into error when we start believing that it's us that's doing it and that it's not God, it's not us doing it with God. We fall into the same error that the Israelites fell into. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that they constantly lived in this place where they started trusting in their own wealth and would turn away from God and worship false gods. We do it in our society all the time. We worship all kinds of idols. You know, that idol might be a business guru. It might be a celebrity. It might be a car you want, a house you want, a lifestyle you want. We have all kinds of idols that we worship. We worship at the altar of pornography. We worship at the altar of lust. We worship at the altar of wealth. There's all kinds of altars we worship at. We just don't call it idolatry. But it's exactly the same type of idolatry that you see in the Old Testament. And it's anything that takes a preeminence of God in our life. Sorry, Adam, the World Cup could become an idol. (laughs) You know? I'm not saying that if you watch the World Cup that that makes it an idol. So please don't hear a thing. I'm saying it as a joke, you know? 
But, you know, I'm saying it as a joke. So please, you know, please hear that. If someone, if you miss church because of the World Cup, I will not be hunting you down and telling you that, you know, you know, but I'm saying it as, I'm saying it in a joking way, you know, but it's these things that it's really examining our hearts. What, what has it? What actually is most important to us? What has our heart? If, if we had to choose between our career and God's plan of our life, which one would we choose? You know, if we if we had to, you know, and I, I made the joke with Adam in the World Cup, but you know what? Adam and his wife, they immigrated here from London. They moved to Mississauga. They bought a they they rent a house in Mississauga, and time came a year or so ago. Hope you don't mind me telling the story. Where they it was time to sell their house in London, so they sold their house in London and in London, England. And you know what? Even with a house in London, England, they couldn't afford a house in Mississauga. And so, but. They said, they're like, we know we're called here. We know we're called to Lifehouse. We actually know the street that we're on, we're meant to have an impact on. So we're going to buy a house in another city and rent it out as opposed to buying a house for ourselves because we know that that's, that God has us here. You know, that is a thing of going, I'm putting God first. You know, that's putting God first. So I can joke with them about the World Cup, but there's real testimony in their lives of going, you know what, we know the plans and purposes that God has for us, and we're going to walk those things out, you know, not not go after other things. He was looking for a job a while ago in different places, and he was testing the water in different things. He was going, you know, I, I'm very certain that God has not called us to leave Lifehouse or leave Mississauga, so I'm looking for a job around here. And that's a thing of going, hey, I'm pursuing the purposes of God in my life. You know, I'm putting those first because you know, when we do that, when we put God first, then, then we give him the ability to actually work through our lives to produce his fruit in our lives. We'll get to some New Testament here. Treasures in heaven, Matthew 6, verse 19 to 34. Long sections of scripture, but I want scripture to speak to us this morning. Hear Jesus talking to his disciples. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's not that he just suddenly had this little like ADD moment and went off on a tangent on something else. He's like, what are you focused on? You know, if our eyes are dark, if they're darkened by the lusts of the world, if our pursuit is the things of the world as opposed to the things of God, if that is where our focus, our gaze is, that will affect our heart. It'll affect our where we're going with our lives. If our passion is our bank account, our career, or how much wealth that we are producing here in the world, it's not about making disciples, it's not about following the will of Jesus, then the wrong thing will have our heart and the wrong thing will be what informs our decisions. The wrong thing will grip us. Again, God wants us to be a wealthy people. I'm not saying you're going to be rich and have all kinds of money and a Maserati and a mansion. 
I'm saying that God knows what we need, and we'll keep reading here. Jesus then says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or mammon. So again, this does not mean that we are not meant to have money. But again, the Israelite people, they would be following God and then they would get, they would get everything they wanted and everything they needed and they would turn away from God. And then guess what would happen? All the curses would come upon them and things would be a disaster and they, it was a huge mess. And then finally in the huge mess, they would turn back to God and they'd call on God and God would come and would rescue from the situation. And as they devoted themselves to God again, all the blessings would come onto their life. And then those blessings became the thing that they were, that they thought their strength was in. And that's what they started to worship was those blessings. And they turned aside to false gods. And it's repeated over and over and over in the Old Testament until finally God sent them into exile. And they never returned to that place of blessing as a people. The blessing for them then became Jesus. And then the purposes of Israel were done. And God made a new man, joining Jew and Gentile together. You know, for those Jews that followed Jesus, not Jews by Jewish people by descent, but Jewish people that followed Jesus and Gentile people that followed Jesus, and they became the church. They became the church. And the same blessings that we see in the old are there for the church. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to keep going here in a minute, but Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but do not fear, I've overcome the world in speaking to his disciples. That is not a promise. He didn't go, I promise you that every follower of me is going to have a really terrible, difficult life. Jesus could see what was going on. They were under Roman oppression. He was about to go to the cross. So, that isn't a promise that everyone that follows Jesus is going to have trouble. It's just a reality that as we're in this world, it's a pretty good chance we will because the enemy creates trouble. But the, it's not a promise. We don't then go, oh, well, so God has promised that as a follower of Jesus, I've got to live a troubled life. The, the promises are that we are to live eternal life now. That despite the trouble around us, we follow our king and kingdom and that we find our joy and strength in him regardless of what's going on. So whether I, Paul wrote so wonderfully, whether I have everything and all my needs met or whether I am in poverty, I rejoice because all my, you know, everything I need, I have in God. You know, he is my all-sufficiency. He is everything that I need. Paul did not deviate from mission when he had nothing or when he had abundance. He knew his mission. I need to get the gospel out. That's what it was. I'm bringing the gospel to the nations of the world. Back to verse 25. He said, you can't serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, as Jesus says, he's saying it to all of you. Therefore, I tell you, Do not worry about your life, 
what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food, and the body not more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you not? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus' command there to us is not a whole lot different than what we see in Deuteronomy. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything you need will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything you need will be added. That is, as disciples, the narrow road that we have to walk. That narrow, there's the wide road that leads to destruction. Read the Old Testament. It'll be really clear. That wide road that leads to destruction. It's any, us turning around from, away from Jesus. It leads to destruction. Our turning away from God and his commands, it leads to our destruction. It's why the world is the absolute disaster that it is today. It's because it's a wide road. Our society, 3% right now, 3%. Imagine what our society will be like in 10 years if there's a million more Christians in southern Ontario. Think about that. You want to find social justice? You want to find greed? You know, being be ending a million more Christians. Imagine what it'll be like 21 years from now if, you know, we've reached 1.2 billion people in the world. Imagine what that world will be like. Suddenly, the kingdom of heaven is here on earth. Because if you've got people that are, that are not just Christian in name, not just people that show up at church on Sunday but live differently the rest of the week, but people genuinely walking that narrow road of following Jesus, imagine what is possible in this world. Imagine what's possible. Imagine what the world will look like. Totally different than what it looks like right now. Totally different. No, totally different. And that world is possible by our decision, our choice to follow him. It also will never come about if we don't make that choice. If you're waiting for God to just zap everybody and make them that way, that's not how he works. He works through us. You know? And the kingdom reality, as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then everything else will be added. You know, We can fully follow him. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't work. It doesn't mean mean, Jesus was a carpenter for most of his life. You know, it says in scripture, if you don't work, then you shall not eat. That's New Testament. So it's not a thing that we just sit back and and chill and do nothing. You know, it's that, no, we are called to work. We are meant to work. Some people's work is in the church, in full-time ministry. Some We're all in full-time ministry. I don't like that term. Some people are paid 
by the church because they've been called to a specific task. Some people, and you know, um, there was a couple that visited us um, this weekend, or last weekend, they were with us, we, they were at the uh, equip. I asked him if he wanted to preach, he said, no, this, not this time, he just wants to get to know us, but they're part of the translocal team with NCMI. His name's Henny and, and Zelda. They will come back and visit and preach another time. Incredible couple. He's raised his wife from the dead. You know, you know, let alone just like, you know, all the other things that happened. And they were telling Lee a bit of their story. And they started out dirt poor. They had nothing. They had nothing when they first started their walk with Jesus. Literally, like, you know, he was in the army. They had no money at all. Now, he runs an extremely successful company and resources. I don't, he doesn't even talk about the stuff that he resources around the world. He has way more than enough. But he's a guy with all these resources, and he goes into places in Africa where literally there will be no food. You know, they'll go in, they have to carry their stuff in. You know, he's like, it goes into the most terrible conditions there, resourcing the church. You know, and like just incredible, incredible stuff. He's blessed because he seeks first the kingdom. He was telling us the testimony that, yeah, he started some business in Canada. And last time he was, he started having clients in Canada. And last time he came for God's purposes, as he arrived on the ground, he got a call and a massive order from a Canadian company. And then it was quiet until he came again, this trip, and then they called him as he hit the ground in Canada going, oh, we want an even bigger order for uh, things. Seek, But he didn't come here for that. He had no business meeting set up. He didn't have anything. He came here for the kingdom of God. Will we live for that kingdom and seek first his And allow him to add to us what is needed. Do we go to work with the kingdom in mind? Or are we going to work for a paycheck? The kingdom. The narrow road. Seeking first his kingdom. Doing it his way. Not cutting corners. Not having a work life and a church life. That we do everything with integrity. We do everything obeying God. We do everything with his plans and purposes in mind. It's interesting in Deuteronomy 8, at the beginning of it, where Moses is reminding the people. I didn't read the scripture just for time's sake. But he's reminding the people, and he's talking about the fact, look, you know, through the good times and the bad times, God trained you to obey him. As I said last week, you know, the news is doom and gloom right now. It's like, oh, there's going to be recession, all these different things happening. Will we in this seek first the kingdom and his righteousness? I know, there's, there's people, we have good times and bad. You know, one thing that God has trained Lee and I, because we've had some really bad times, and we've had good times in terms of finances and other things, is that we would be consistent constantly. You know, we've always been consistent. I don't say this to brag, but it's something God had to train us because it was really hard at times. You know, consistent that we gave regardless, that we were generous regardless. You know, not, you know, that we don't give of our, you know, our tithe when, when we've got, you know, extra money. We do it when we don't even, when we don't have money. We just keep going and giving because he's training us in generosity and us knowing that God will provide. And he always does in one way or the other. You know, we give of when, when we, you know, as a church, even when we don't have to give. And support things, even when we don't have the money. So, well, we don't have the money, you know, not sure how we'll pay salaries this week, but we gotta keep giving there. And we watch God be faithful. 
And he trains us in generosity in those things. In this season, I just want to encourage you. You know, I, I've said it before to the church back in, I think it was March that I brought this up. Maybe it was May. I said, hey, look, the staff is all very committed that we're here because of God, whether we get paid or we don't get paid. And the, pay, the money in the church goes up and down and up and down. It's not particularly consistent. But for the size of church we are, it should be up and even upper, you know, even higher. If we were people that were obedient to God's call of generosity on our life. And so I just want to encourage you. Seek first his kingdom. God is the one that gives you the ability to produce wealth. You don't want to be doing it on your own. You know, if, if it's in good times that you give and in bad times you don't, it's going to be a long journey of God training you. And let me tell you, he is committed to training you. you know? I can tell you. Because, you know, that might be an area of our life we got right. There's other areas where, man, we went around that mountain a lot of different times. But God is committed to training us in all things. He's committed to training us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. For the Israelites, they marched in the desert for 40 years. The generation that came out of Egypt all died in the desert. Their children were trained in the desert so they could successfully enter the promised land. 40 years. 40 was a big thing that he did. You know, 40 years of training Moses in the desert. But, you know, God, God is committed to us doing things his way and his way only. He's really not interested in our ideas. With, you know, he loves us. He's deeply interested in you. He cares about you. But we do not know a better way than God to do things. You know, if you think you do, if you've come up with a new formula of how God's generosity works and that you've got the answer. Let me tell you, there's lots of people selling books and with podcasts and YouTube things. There's lots of people saying all kinds of things. There's a really famous one that happened recently where Crefro Dollar, I don't know if you know, but this one is a preacher, prosperity preacher in the U.S., who was famous for being a guy that was like, I want you to give me money because I need a new jet. I need a new jet, right? Prosperity at the extreme, extreme end. And the basis of his teaching was that if you will give money to me, or, you know, to, if you give money to the things that, in his case it was me, but the things of God, then, then God will bless you. You know, like the idea of like God's a vending machine. If you put in a dollar, God's gonna give you a hundred. Right? And so that was the basis of his teaching. It was false teaching. And he repented of that. He repented of that teaching. And so it was all over the place. Oh, Crefro Dollar says that he was wrong in teaching people to give, to tithe. But that wasn't what he was wrong in teaching. He was wrong in teaching extreme prosperity, God's a vending machine. If you give a dollar, you're going to get a 100% return teaching. That is a false gospel. But the teaching of, of scripture that talks about the church being generous, the church fun, being funded by people's generosity, by, you know, tithing generally should be the, I hope for all of us it becomes the bottom because we're wealthy enough that we can give a whole lot more. Most of the people I know that are wealthy followers of Jesus have a commitment to, that give, goes way far beyond a 10% thing. But maybe for you, 10% is an insane stretch. You're like, I don't even know how I'm going to do that. You know? Well, let God train you into that place. Let God train you into that place. But let him take him at his word. Not that if you give you know, $10, he's going to give you 100 But that if you 
or handle your money the right way, if you handle your heart the right way, if you forgive, if you do things the way God asks you to do, that you will, as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, as you walk that narrow road that's different than 97% of the population around you, that narrow road, that this world will be transformed and changed, that you will have everything you need to fulfill the purposes of God in your life. That is something I think we can all get behind. At the moment, as a leader, we're facing the giants, and we're going, hey, wow, okay, God, if we're going to do this, we're putting a budget together, if we're going to achieve this, it's impossible. It's impossible without God. You know, And I love it. Because I'm just going to keep seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and let God do what God is going to do. Because at the end of the day, my dependence isn't on any... Here, I'm not, you know, me teaching this stuff to you. I'm going to teach it right now because it's an important thing for us to teach. It's an important part of discipleship that we that we understand generosity. We understand how the kingdom of God works in terms of, of finance. And it's, it's a needed thing if we are going to. It's an area we have to. We can't ignore this area of our walk with God because we don't like talking about it. But at the end of the day, my dependence is on him. Not, if everyone was like, no, I'm not going to respond, God will find another way to fund his mission. You know? And the one thing that it says is that God loves a cheerful giver. So what I'm never going to do is manipulate you to give. Because it's got to be something we do. And I, I preached this a few weeks ago. We can start off. Maybe you're in a place, you know, where all you can do is give because God says and you don't understand it any better than that. And that's the level of your faith. It's like, well, you know, maybe your faith isn't even there where you can give. Let God let God get you to the place where you can give because he commands you to do it. You know? And then, and then get to the place where you give because you know how generous God is. You see that in your life and you can't but help. Be generous because you have learned to be like your Father in heaven. That you've been formed into the image of Christ. And generosity is just a lifestyle that you live because it's who he is. Jesus never lacked in generosity in any way, shape, or form in anything that he did. That's the abundant life. The abundant life in Christ for all of us. Amen? Amen. Wonderful. Thank you, Adam. I will hand it back over to you. Thanks, James. Thanks for using me as an example in your preach. (laughs) I think it's quite simple, really, isn't it? If we live our lives the way that God told us to live our lives, things are much more likely to go well. Might not go the way you planned, but they will go well for us. My, uh, one of my favorite Bible verses that I like to repeat with Talia, and it uh, comes very shortly after the story, the first, um, Joshua chapter 1, Have I not told you, be strong and courageous, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. Sometimes I'll just say to Talia, I'm like, Talia, have I not told you? And she'll do the rest. Thank you so much, James.
Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you, James and Leah, for being with us, and Mary as well. Um, you guys are so great. Um, I, it's my privilege to be part of Lifehouse Church, and you're not getting rid of me anytime soon. <laughs> uh, except today, when we're all going to go home after this. So you are, that is the end of the service. Have an amazing week. Stay warm. Don't forget to go and get your kids. And uh, be blessed. Jesus loves you. Oh my gosh, yes. Sorry. Yes. One more thing. Greg and Alex and uh, are going to be praying for people and anyone else who wants to pray for someone. If you want prayer for anything um, that maybe you have been reminded of this morning or something in general, if you need healing mentally, physically, or if you've just been particularly impacted by anything that has been said today or recently, we would love to pray for you and come alongside you and bless you. So please come and join the team over here in this corner here. We're going to do some prayer. It's going to be amazing. Um, and then you can go home after that. Hallelujah.